0: Good morning. Welcome back. It is the lead off on 610 Sports Radio. I am Brandon Kylie. The protein house eat with a purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter. I'm at BK Sports Talk. It's been a fun show this morning. We got an hour to go today. Coming up at 1230, is K-State football pregame for you guys. A little bit of news to pass along. It does sound like KU football is going to get going against Oklahoma at 1130 they have announced an expected start time of 1130 so if you are a KU fan excited to watch that game 1130 is the time when it is expected to kick off all right coming up here in just about 10 minutes last time was the first week that we or excuse me last week was the first time that we really saw the Chiefs miss Tyreek Hill we'll get into that coming up here in just about 10 minutes but right now This kind of quarterback just doesn't come in to Arrowhead and beat Andy Reid. This kind of quarterback, of course, I am talking about Jacoby Brissett. Here's Greg Doyle, who covers the Indianapolis Colts for the Indy Star, comparing Brissett to somebody the Chiefs fans are very well accustomed to knowing.
1: What I think, Sis, if there's enough talent around him, he's good enough, that he's not going to be the reason you don't win. Um, If you've got a good defense, you've got a good running game, if your GM is doing a good job, you can win with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, is Alex Smith all that much better than Jacoby on their best days? I don't know. You know, in case he was okay with Alex Smith at So I think the question is, how does your GM put stuff around you? Now, if he's the kind of guy like Mahomes, and granted the Chiefs have talent, but Mahomes is so good, I mean, he could pick a you know the local NAIA college team, and that team's going to go somewhere in the NFL. Because Mahomes, uh, Brissette's not that, but I do think he's not a problem if the talent
0: around him better. Okay, so he compared him to Alex Smith. We know what that looks like. You don't have to have watched a single Colts game this year. Based on that comparison, you know exactly who the Chiefs are going up against this weekend. Jacoby Brissett, according to a guy that covers the team, knows the team, is local with the team, is basically Alex Smith. All right, he's he's a guy that is fine. He's not. He's going to take care of the football. He's going to hit his guys when they're open, and he's not going to make a bunch of big plays. That's what the Chiefs are going up against this weekend, more or less. That kind of quarterback just doesn't come into Kansas City and win. Here's what I mean by that. Andy Reid is 38 and 15 at home since he took over as the head coach of the Chiefs. 38 and 15. That's a really impressive record. Those 15 losses include three against Peyton Manning, two against Phillip Rivers, two against Ben Roethlisberger, one against Tom Brady, and one against Andrew Luck. That leaves six others Jay Cutler, Marcus Mariota, Jake Locker, Tyrod Taylor, and Jameis Winston. Those are weird quarterbacks to be mentioned in the same light as those other games that I just talked about, right? Like, it's strange that Jake Cutler, Jake Locker, Marcus Mariota, Tyrod Taylor, and Jameis Winston have defeated the Chiefs. That's strange to me. Here's what the Chiefs put up in terms of offensive points against those teams. 21, 17, 17, 17, 10, and 10. The floor for the Chiefs offense with Patrick Mahomes is 26. They scored 21, 17, 17, 17, 10, and 10 against those quarterbacks, the ones that are weird that are on that schedule. This is why the Chiefs moved on from Alex Smith. So in the Patrick Mahomes era, they don't lose to these kinds of quarterbacks because these kinds of quarterbacks, the game they want to play is the game where they win 17 to 12 or the game that they win 12 to 10, those are strange games that we've seen happen at Arrowhead far too often in the last five to 10 years. It's the weird game where like, you feel like the chiefs are winning the whole game, but then you get to the fourth quarter and they're down 17 to 13. You're like, wait, they've been moving the ball all day, but they have three missed field goals and two fumbles and they lost. I don't understand what just happened. And then it hits you and you're like, oh my God, Marcus Mariota just came into Arrowhead and won. Or Tyrod Taylor has 120 yards passing, and they beat the Chiefs. I don't understand what I'm watching. That doesn't happen anymore. And so I say all that to say this. The Indianapolis Colts are coming in as 11-point underdogs on Sunday night. The Chiefs are, without question, a far superior team to what the Indianapolis Colts are. This is not a test. This is not a test the way that going into Detroit was or when Baltimore came into Kansas City was or what even next week whenever Houston comes into Kansas City is. Because those teams had something that could scare the Chiefs. That could impose their will upon the Chiefs. Baltimore had an unbelievable running game. And at that point, Lamar Jackson looked like a potential MVP candidate. Detroit has a really good defense this year. And their running game, while it hadn't been productive coming into that game, you knew they were going to stick with it. And that's the one weakness that the Chiefs had. So I could understand any of that. The Colts' two safeties are out. Their middle linebacker's out. They don't really have an offensive identity so far this year outside of Marlon Mack, and Marlon Mack is a good running back, but Marlon Mack is not a guy that, if he's the only player on an offense that scares you, is going to be able to really impose his will. This is not the type of game that I fear. It's just not. I have no reason to believe that this quarterback can come into Kansas City and win, given the fact that the 15 the, the fifteen losses that Andy Reid has thus far, most of them come against Peyton, Rivers, Ben, Brady, and Luck. The others come in games when the Chiefs score under 21 points against Cutler, Locker, Mariota, Tyrod, and Jameis. Those guys aren't beating the Chiefs anymore with Patrick Mahomes at the helm. There is one storyline that does interest me, though, in this game. It's Justin Houston coming back to Kansas City. Justin Houston was a four-time Pro Bowler, a one-time All-Pro. He is fourth all-time among Chiefs sack leaders. He is fourth in the history of the Chiefs in terms of sacks on an opposing quarterback. He was asked earlier this week what it's like to come back home. Here's what he had to say.
1: well memories come flooding back when you get out there, though? and its I'm pretty sure they will. I was there eight years, so I'm, I'm human. I know some type of memory
0: going to come back to my mind when I step back on that field, so we'll see. have been talking to a lot of old friends back there this week. You're kind of keeping yourself. I'm standing to myself. Really, uh, like I said, a lot of defensive guys that I was there with, they're gone, so... Most of the people I I play with, they're not even there no more. So it's a bunch of new faces over there I'm not familiar with. I find it really interesting, based on some of the conversations that we had earlier in the week uh, whenever I was on the drive, you can hear that weekdays 2 to 6 right here on 610 Sports Radio. I don't think Chiefs fans really, I don't want to say appreciate, but I don't think Chiefs fans have the same love for Justin Houston that they have for most great players that played here. And I don't totally understand it. Like, on one hand, I get this part. Justin Houston had a 22-sack season. He got paid, and then he was never the same player again. And so from that perspective, I understand that his the majority of his time here in Kansas City could be considered to be a disappointment. I get that. But a lot of that was based on injuries. Like, Justin Houston, when healthy, was still a very good football player. Justin Houston is fourth in the history of the Chiefs in sacks. He had 10, 11, 22, 9.5 in nine sacks in five different seasons. His peak is as high as we've seen from a pass rusher here in Kansas City since DT. All of these things would lead you to believe Justin Houston, one of the most appreciated players in the history of the Chiefs. But he's not. And on Sunday, when he comes back tomorrow, I don't know what the reception's going to be like. Like, he's not going to get booed or anything like that. I don't think there's very many people that have, like, malice in their hearts for Justin Houston or that actively dislike Justin Houston necessarily. I just don't think there's a whole lot of people that love Justin Houston. It's really interesting to me that we've arrived in this place where you can have a player, because Kansas City loves its athletes. Kansas City loves athletes. And you have a player who, in Kansas City was very productive for most of his career. We can argue if disappointing it could be used to, to, to classify him, but productive nonetheless. And yet, for some reason, he's coming back, and there's just not that same juice. Like, I put up a poll yesterday on the 610 Twitter account, at 610 Sports KC, and I asked Kansas City, who had a better Chiefs career, Dwayne Bowe or Justin Houston? I would answer that question with Justin Houston. Who is the more beloved Chiefs player, though? I would answer that question probably Dwayne Bow. I think Chiefs fans like Dwayne Bow more than they like Justin Houston, even though I think Justin Houston had a better career here in Kansas City. Like, when Dwayne Bow came back for his one-day contract, I think people were more excited about that than they are for Justin Houston coming back to play an actual game here in Kansas City, which is kind of a crazy thing. It's kind of a crazy place that we've arrived in where Justin Houston just doesn't have that same juice behind him. If I had to guess, and I'd be curious on your thoughts on this, 69306 is the protein house, eat with a purpose text line. If you are somebody who's not excited about Justin Houston coming back to Kansas City, why is it? Why is it that you find yourself and you're sitting there and you're like, you know, Just not really excited about Justin Houston, one of the best pass rushers in the history of the franchise, coming back to Kansas City to play against the Chiefs. Why is that? If I had to guess, there is one thing that's missing from Justin Houston's resume. Two things, really. One, he never really endeared himself with the fan base. Like, I don't know what it was about uh, Jamal Charles, but Jamal Charles really endeared himself to this fan base. He really seemed to embrace Kansas City. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure what it was. I don't know what it was about his story that really just gravitated himself towards this city. I think the same thing was true of Derek Johnson. Derek Johnson was just like the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs defense for 10 years. He became a part of this city. He became ingrained in the fabric of the city. People loved Derek Johnson. I don't think that was ever the case really for Justin Houston, even if he was considered to be one of the leaders of the defense for a while. The other thing that was missing from his resume And this is not unique to him. It is kind of the case for a lot of Chiefs over the last 20 years, really. Never really had any success in the playoffs. And a lot of times, the Chiefs went into the playoffs, and one of the things that you thought that they could hang their hat on was at least they got a good pass rush. You know, Justin Houston, uh, Tom Bahali, D. Ford. The Chiefs have always had a pretty good pass rush, and Justin Houston typically was a part of that group. It never seemed to show up in the playoffs. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it is go up against better teams and they get rid of the ball quickly. And so the pass rush just doesn't exist as much in the playoffs. And some of it is also he is typically hurt in the playoffs. So it's a really interesting career here in Kansas City. Justin Houston is, in terms of talent, in terms of single seasons, one of the better players in the history of the Chiefs. But also he's really not remembered that way. He's going to go down as a guy who I think most people would classify his career as a bit of a disappointment given where it was in 2014 when he had 22 sacks and where it ultimately left where he had over the next four years combined 30 sacks. I think that's how he's going to be remembered is a bit of a disappointment which is kind of a strange place. I love Justin Houston man. He was a really good player for a really long time here in Kansas City, but he just doesn't there's not the same pull for him as there is for a lot of other guys here in this city. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in just about five minutes or so, last week was the first time where I felt like we could actually say the Chiefs missed Tyreek Hill. I'll explain why. Coming up, it is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio.
1: The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio.
0: Welcome back. It is the lead off on Six Ten sports radio coming up here in just about 15 minutes. I'm really excited about this interview. Dave Fleming of ESPN.com is going to join us. He wrote an awesome piece for ESPN, basically an oral history of Andy Reed. So he went through and he talks to a bunch of different people, both from Andy Reid's childhood. And then all the way through to where he is today, he talks to him about what Andy was like as a kid, there are some amazing stories in this, including Andy Reid once eating a 40 ounce steak in 19 minutes, which is incredible. Andy is known for apparently uh, eating seven pound burritos back in college. There's some amazing stories in this uh, in this piece. So I want to talk to Dave Fleming about it. He's gonna join us coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But right now, last week was the first time that the Chiefs really missed Tyreek Hill, in my opinion. It didn't end up coming back to haunt them in a way of them losing the game, obviously. 4-0, it is what it is at this point. But last week was the first time I noticed where I was like, oh, you know what? The Chiefs are actually legitimately missing Tyreek Hill out there right now. And I want to hear something from Therese Paler. I listened to this earlier this week. He was on with Fesco in the morning. And he was asked, do you think that other teams can duplicate what the Lions did to the Chiefs' offense? Because the Chiefs' offense only scored 27 points on Sunday, which is really low for them. The rest of the league, they scored 20, 27 points. You're like, damn, that was a good offensive outburst. The Chiefs, 27 points, that's a disappointment. So, Therese Paler of Yahoo Sports was asked, how will other teams duplicate what the Lions did to the Chiefs' offense moving forward?
1: So Tyreek Hill comes back, expect a lot of one-high coverage. The, the kind of looks the Lions were showing the Chiefs were things that you really wouldn't do very often if Tyreek Hill was on the field. You know, we're talking one high coverage with, like, one deep safety, even if he's 20 yards back. You know, if you're if you're doing that on Ty Hill, Pat's going to throw it 80 yards in the air, you know, like just over your head. But I think what you are seeing is that teams are like, oh, okay. Tyreek's not in. Here's a deal. This is why they drafted Nicole Harden. Like, you guys got to pay attention to that. You know, obviously the situation with Tyreek is up in the air, right? Understand they know what this offense is is like if there's
0: not a premium vertical threat. So that's what Therese Paler had to say earlier this week on Fesco in the Morning. What happened last week is duplicable. Other teams will try to do this. The Colts will try to do this on Sunday. It's just not replicable when Tyreek's in the lineup. What they did on Sunday, what the Lions did, was they were physical as hell against the Chiefs. They brought up their corners. They were going to play man-to-man, bump-and-run coverage, and that's the way they were going to try to beat the Chiefs. They were going to punch him in the mouth. What uh, dot said this earlier this week. He said the Colts want this game on Sunday to be a Big Ten matchup, and the Chiefs want it to be a Big 12 matchup. That's what the Lions did. The Lions wanted to be a Big Ten team. The Lions wanted to be Wisconsin, and the Chiefs going into that game were Oregon. Oregon wants to throw the ball all over the place. They want to be finesse, all these different things. Detroit wanted to be Wisconsin. They wanted to punch him in the mouth. They wanted to hit him repeatedly. They were going to bring up their corners, play as physical as possible off the line. And they were saying, McCole Hardman, you're not getting off this line of scrimmage. To hell with you getting 80 yards down the line. You're not getting five yards off of the line. Demarcus Robinson, we're going to punch you off of your route and you're never going to be able to recover. That's the way that we're going to play this game. And Sammy Watkins, we're just going to bet you're not going to be able to be the guy that beats us. Ultimately, it was Travis Kelsey who beat him. They were physical with him. Kelsey's just too good, and he overcame it. And Patrick Mahomes is too good, he overcame it. You can't do that against Tyreek Hill. If you try to play press coverage against Tyreek Hill, he's going to put two moves on you at the line of scrimmage. He's going to go 80 yards down the field. Patrick Mahomes is going to hit him for a touchdown. That's how that works. So the Chiefs, if you are asking today... If you had asked this week, is this something that other teams can do? The answer is yes, until Tyreek Hill returns. And so that was the first time I said in my mind, okay, they miss him. They do. Because you have Patrick Mahomes, who is a generational talent, one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen, maybe the best quarterback I've ever seen, in terms of the way that he plays the position. You have Sammy Watkins, who's a really talented receiver. Travis Kelsey, who's obviously amazing. LaShawn McCoy, who's been so much better than I expected him to be. And Demarcus Robinson and McCole Hardman had both had moments. But in the game on Sunday, it looked like they were off. It looked like, and if you were watching the game, a lot of people said in the moment, man, Patrick Mahomes just doesn't look as accurate today. Like, his passes just, a lot of them are offline. It feels like they're either short or high or long. It feels like he's missing a lot of receivers. Part of that was, not all of it, he was off a little bit at, at first, but part of it was also McCole Hardman, when he runs a 10-yard out route, sometimes run it, runs at it 12 yards. Tyreek Hill's going to run that 10 yards every single time. The timing's going to be right. He's going to be in the exact spot that he needs to be at the exact time that he's supposed to be there. McCole Hardman is a rookie. There's some adjustment that goes into this, and sometimes he's not going to be in the right spot at the right time. That's how this works. Demarcus Robinson, kind of the thing that has been said about him from day one is, Sometimes he's not in the right spot at the right time. Now, he can make amazing plays, and we've seen that this year. The touchdown that he had a couple of weeks ago was one of the best plays that I've seen from a Chiefs receiver in a long time. But sometimes he's not going to be at the right spot at the right time. And Sammy Watkins sometimes disappears. And so you've got a situation where the Chiefs have receivers that aren't always in the right place at the right time. And that makes Mahomes look worse than he actually is. When Tyreek Hill gets back, that is not going to be the case. Found it interesting. Tony Dungy made a really good comparison for Tyreek Hill earlier this week. Listen to this. Tyreek is special, and he gives you that element that, um, and it's a lot like Marvin, where even if he doesn't catch a
1: ball in a game, he dictates so much of what the defense has to do. It opens things up for other guys. So when you have him in the lineup, you always have that threat of the deep ball, you have the threat of the quick screen where he can catch it and, and go 30 yards you know, just like that. So people have to honor that. And because of that, you you see certain types of defenses. And now Travis Kelsey and Robinson and Hardman and these other guys are just going to benefit from that. This this offense is going to be scary when Tyreek gets back and, you know, they, they have him in the lineup for a couple of weeks. I don't know how you're going to defend them.
0: I never really thought of the comparison. I never really thought of that. But Marvin Harrison makes a lot of sense. Like, he was a guy that was always – Always going to be at the right place at the right time. He was the guy that was going to be the safety valve for Peyton Manning on any given play. But also, he had the ability to take the... I mean, we've seen it here in Kansas City. We saw it in 2003. He had the the ability to take any play 50 yards to the house. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but it is an interesting comparison. And the reason why I find it so interesting is because when you really kind of take it out into a bigger picture sense... The 2000 Colts is probably the 2000s Colts. Probably the best comparison for how the Chiefs are trying to build this moving forward. You've got the quarterback in place the way that the Colts did. Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes. The Colts always placed a huge emphasis on making sure Peyton always had really great weapons. They made sure he had Marvin Harrison. And when they had Marvin Harrison, they went out and got Edger and James. And when they got Edger and James, they went out and got Dallas Clark. When they got Dallas Clark, they added with Reggie Wayne. They continued adding pieces to the puzzle at all times for Peyton Manning. That's not what all teams do. At times, the cupboard has been a little bit bare for Tom Brady. There were times where Eli Manning didn't have the best receivers out there. There were times when, certainly in Green Bay, the Packers haven't surrounded Aaron Rodgers with the best of talent. That was never the case for the Colts. Colts always had talent offensively around Peyton Manning. The other thing that they did was they built their defense with Peyton Manning because they had Peyton Manning. What I mean is they didn't really care that much about run defense. They wanted to have pass rushers. They wanted to have safeties that were going to come up and hit you because in that time, you know, the safeties could hit you. They wanted to be able to play fast on defense because they knew that teams were going to have to throw the ball because the Colts were going to get up on them. So they went out and they got Dwight Freeney. They went out and they got Robert Mathis. They went out and they got linebackers that were going to be good in coverage. That's what the Chiefs are doing. The Chiefs' Dwight Freeney, they hope, is Frank Clark. The Chiefs' Robert Mathis, maybe, we'll see moving forward if this is the long-term answer, but they hope, is Chris Jones. It's a very interesting comparison. Now, hopefully for the Chiefs, and I'm sure this is where a lot of you guys are going to come in on the protein house seat with a purpose text line at 69306, the hope is the Chiefs have a little more success in the postseason than the 2000s Colts did. The biggest difference, of course, the Chiefs ain't going to have to go up against Tom Brady every year. Now, he's going to be there for a little while, but eventually the Chiefs are going to have an AFC to themselves. The Colts had to go up against Brady and the Patriots each and every postseason. It's just not going to be the case for this Chiefs team. It's a really interesting comparison. The Colts, 2000s, basically what the Chiefs are trying to build here in Kansas City. Coming up here in just about 10 minutes, there's a comparison between Bill Cowher and Andy Reid that a former player made that I want to get into. But coming up next, Dave Fleming of ESPN.com had an unbelievable piece earlier this week. It's an oral history of Andy Reid's life and career. Come for that. Stay for the stories about Andy Andy Reid eating a 40-ounce steak in 19 minutes. It's all coming up. Dave Fleming of ESPN.com joins us on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio.
1: Rich Gannon, Wednesdays at 4:30 on the Drive, 610 Sports Radio.
0: Welcome back in. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie, and I'm very happy to be joined now by Dave Fleming. He is a senior writer for ESPN. And he just put out a piece that all of the Chiefs fans that are listening right now should read. Its title on ESPN.com is Mahomes, Favre, and other NFL stars reveal the larger-than-life tales behind Andy Reid. It's essentially an oral history of the greatest moments of Andy Reid's childhood going into his time in Philadelphia, some of his college days. It's fantastic. It's a great read. I can't recommend it enough. And we are very happy to be joined by Dave Fleming, who is the author of that piece now here on The Lead Off. One thing that I noticed in your story, and this is certainly something that's been written about locally as well, is his parents. Where he has one parent that is, a, I believe, a doctor, correct? And the other one is an artist. How do you think that comes through in both like his coaching, his schematics? Like, How do those two influences in his life, do you think, kind of come together to build the person that Andy Reid is today? Yeah,
1: I think I'm glad you pointed that out, and it's one of my favorite things. It was one of the first early in the reporting when I was like, "Oh, a light went off," where I thought I started had started to maybe understand Andy Reid a little bit. Yeah, his mom was a radiologist, um, and his dad was a an artist who painted background scenes for, for Hollywood and for for plays and stuff like that. Um, and it's mentioned in the in the story, but I think it goes a long way to sort of explain why Andy Reid is the way he is and, and why he's so good. And he's sort of a little bit, uh, like we all are, a mix of his parents, of their, of their sort of talents and their personalities. And it's, I love that. It's, there's a little bit of art and a little bit of science in, in what he does. And I think the way it was explained to me was, um, you know, he's super smart and can think on his feet and um, can digest a lot of information and a lot of analytical stuff and that comes from his mom, but then the sort of mad scientist side to his offense, which we're really seeing with the Chiefs in the last couple of years, um, the artist side of his brain, that, that comes from his dad. Um, so that that I think he loves that part of, of, of his personality.
0: We're talking with Dave Fleming. He is a senior writer for ESPN.com. He wrote what is essentially the oral history of Andy Reid earlier this week. Highly recommend it. You can find that on ESPN.com. How do you think Andy is so good at finding these quarterbacks and knowing both when to pull the trigger on those guys and then also how to develop them once he gets his hands on them and is able to build them within his organization?
1: Yeah, I think he's got a few criteria, but it's for him. And I remember talking to him in Philadelphia after he drafted Donovan McNabb um, and and Donovan started to have some success after uh, being sort of eased into that lineup slowly. But You know, I think it's the typical stuff. It is – I don't think Andy's looking for anything different than other people. He just sees it and breaks it down better than anyone else. Um, I think for him it's about intelligence. It's about leadership. um, It's about accuracy. And, again, he's also one of those rare coaches who – I mean, he is old school through and through. But it's very modern of him. Um, the way that he adjusts his scheme according to his talent. I think classic old-school coaches, which, you know, to their own detriment, often try to take the talent they have and squeeze it into their scheme that they've been running for 20 years, and Andy's the exact opposite. But um, I think if there is a through line between Brett Favre, Donovan McNabb, and Patrick Mahomes, it's, it's personality. And it's something Andy told me, again, a long time ago about Donovan McNabb, that reminded him of Brett Favre, and I'm sure reminds him um, of Patrick Mahomes. But it's this dual personality that a quarterback has to be able to have. He's got to have this kind of lighter side to him, the ability to kind of uh, to improvise, to 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 think outside the box, to shake things off when they when he throws a bad interception or has a bad play, uh, and that's the kind of the Joker side. But then he also is able to, in a moment's notice. You know, become the leader, you know, get guys in the right position, yell at guys who aren't running routes the right way, um, and that's the general side, and that's, that is the way Andy described it, man, uh, 20 years ago in Philadelphia is he likes his quarterbacks to be sort of part joker and part general.
0: I think one thing that I noticed in your story, Dave, is that there, there was some changing that took place for Andy, obviously in that 2012 season that had a lot of loss for him with his son passing away, but also after he was fired in Philadelphia, from the people that you talked with, what did they say changed for Andy Reed after he was let go in Philly and then got the job here in Kansas city?
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of this story is the, the, that Andy's actually really sort of grown and changed and um, to people who are close to him really kind of um, found the fountain of youth in, in Kansas city with, with Patrick Mahomes. And um, I think he's just uh, at the stage of his career where he's appreciating things a little bit more and maybe not stressing quite as much. Uh, But the big change Uh, you know, just from a job perspective is, I think he was in charge of everything in Philadelphia. And I think that eventually just wore him down and moved him away from what he loved to do the most, which was, you know, uh, installs and and watching film and breaking down film and and putting in the offense and and calling plays. And I, I think everybody I talked to said, That's been the big difference with with Andy in Kansas City is he sort of took the GM hat off and put the mad scientist football coach hat back on, and that has really kind of rejuvenated his spirit for the game.
0: We're talking with Dave Fleming. He is a senior writer for ESPN. You can read his piece now on ESPN.com. It's the oral history of Andy Reid. I did want to ask you about the Patrick Mahomes relationship that he has with Andy Reid what did you learn about the relationship between Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid that you found interesting?
1: Oh, I mean, they are like—it's uh, almost like a comedy routine. I, I would love to, I would love to see a behind-the-scenes uh, hard knocks on just Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes because they are kind of an odd couple, right? They're, you know, they're, they're, they're from different generations. They, they have different mindsets. They're from different parts of the country. They're. Um, but, man, they have just sort of clicked together in their love for evolving the quarterback position, evolving offense, and, and taking this whole thing to another level. And um, the interactions that Patrick mentioned, I, I, I kept saying to him during our interview, I'm like, wow, when you when you mention your interactions with Andy Reid, your, your face just lights up, you smile, especially when he's talking about sort of the Friday strategy sessions where they break down every play in the – uh, every play in the, in the, in the playbook um, that they're going to use that weekend. And the idea that these two guys are like uh, sort of like stopping each other and handing each other notes and ideas about uh, how different ways to run plays or get guys into different routes. um, God, it just sounds like if uh, a dream scenario for both a quarterback and a coach um, that these two guys have found each other in, in Kansas City. And what I love, too, is a lot of the questions I ask people who've known him for a long time was, what's his legacy going to be? And most people stopped me and said, legacy? They're like, Andy Reid has found his dream quarterback. He is not going anywhere anytime soon. He's going to be there and win a ton of games um, for a long time. So it's, it's almost too early to talk about legacy.
0: That's interesting. I, I want to follow up on that because one of the big questions here locally is how long is Andy going to do this? From the people that you talked with, they don't think he's leaving anytime soon?
1: Oh, God, no. I mean, I I, we, I wasn't able to sort of pin anybody down with a uh, with a date or maybe how long, you know, another 10 years or something. But um, you saw this in, in what he went through in Philadelphia. You know, this is what he loves to do. This, this is who he is. And... Um, he, you know, I, he doesn't want to do anything else. He doesn't want to retire. He doesn't want to slow down. He doesn't, doesn't want to uh, take up a different hobby. This, this is what he loves to do, and he's found sort of the perfect scenario. And honestly, I think he will coach in Kansas City as, as, long, um, as long as they allow him to.
0: Last question for you, Dave. I know how this works whenever you put together a piece like this. There's a lot that doesn't end up making the piece that was really great information for one reason or another. What is something that you weren't able to include in the piece on ESPN.com that you just found, whether it be particularly revealing or interesting? What was something that maybe got ended up on the cutting room floor that you wanted to add in here?
1: Well, I, you know, I love the the, the funny stories and it seemed like everybody we talked to um, had a funny Andy Reid um, eating story. Um, and we just weren't able to include them all. I thought what we did is we took the best story, which was him eating that 40-ounce steak in like 19 minutes, which I swear to God has to be a world record. But, uh, and we included that one. But there, every single person we talked to had an Andy Reid eating story. And um, a couple of my favorites are he when he was in college, or right after he at his first coaching job at San Francisco State, he was famous for making this thing called a seven-pound burrito. And I asked a buddy of his, I was like, oh, it's, they call it seven pounds just because it was huge. And the guy was like, no, it weighed seven pounds. And I'm like, well, how, how big must a burrito be to weigh seven pounds? And again, but Andy could eat it in in one sitting. And then I loved when Jeffrey Lurie uh, told the story about the first time he took Andy out as head coach of the Eagles, he took him to a, a steakhouse and everybody goes around and and does their order and the waitress gets to Andy and he orders three steaks. And she was like, you would, she was, she said, she was like, you want, I'm sorry, you want your steak prepared three different ways. And he said, no, I, I want three different steaks. (laughs) And uh, Jeffrey Lurie still, still talks about that one. So uh, yeah, Andy Reed, um, besides being a world-class and and, an elite coach, um, I think he could have a second gig as, uh, as sort of a uh, an eating champion.
0: Dave, it was a tremendous read. Our, our listeners can find it on ESPN.com. You are a senior writer for ESPN. He is Dave Fleming, and he joined us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. Dave, thank you so much for the time today. Again, it was a fantastic read on Andy Reid. We will uh, hopefully be re- talking to you again soon and reading more from you on ESPN.com. Thanks again, Dave. My pleasure. Thank you. That's incredible. Some of the stories about Andy Reid are absolutely incredible. The fact that the Eagles owner took him out to eat for the first time at a steakhouse, and the waitress asks him, what would you like? He says, I would like three steaks. She says, okay, so you would like the steak prepared three separate ways. He says, no, I want three steaks. There's a longer version of that interview with Dave Fleming that I would highly recommend. You can check it out on the podcast page, 610sports.com. I talked to him for about 16 minutes. That was 11 of the best minutes. What I didn't include here was some of the stories from his childhood. They're tremendous. Andy Reid as a child, there's a lot of – he mentioned how Andy Reid has a lot of the artist and scientist in him. I think as a childhood, after hearing some of the stories – is more of the artist. He was a lot more the artist growing up and became more of the scientist as he went along. Dave Fleming of ESPN.com. Highly highly appreciate him joining us here on the show today. That was just a snippet of what his piece is on ESPN.com. Recommend going and checking that out. ESPN.com, Dave Fleming. It is the oral history of Andy Reid. Coming up here in just a little bit, we'll finish this thing up, a comparison between Bill Cowher and Andy Reid that caught my attention, and we got to talk a little Frank Clark going into what could be a big game for him on Sunday. It's all next as we finish off the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio.
1: The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio.
0: Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie, Finishing things up here today, if you've missed anything, 610sports.com. I think it's been a lot of fun today really good show. Craig Stout of Arrowhead Pride joined us earlier today to break down what he's seen from Frank Clark. If you missed our interview with Dave Fleming of ESPN.com, it was tremendous. He had some great stories about Andy Reid, so check both of those out at 610sports.com. Last thing I wanted to get to today, Ryan Clark was on ESPN earlier this week, and he made a comparison that I hadn't really thought about. But it makes a lot of sense. Listen to this. This is Ryan Clark, former NFL player, talking about Andy Reid. You know, it's, it's obviously hard to rank Andy Reid amongst the all-time great coaches because all-time great coaches have championships. They have Super Bowls. And that's what Andy Reid is working toward right now with Pat Mahomes. But he's had a career, much like Bill Cowher, a guy who hadn't had that Super Bowl for a very long time and then won in his second-to-last year coaching. So if Andy Reid can accomplish that, he belongs in the, the category of the great coaches of this game. It's a really interesting comparison that I hadn't really thought about. Andy Reid's legacy, and I I thought this was a great point that Dave Fleming made, um, something that I didn't know. Um, Dave Fleming says, basically, Andy Reid's legacy, he brings that up with everybody he talks with during his piece, during the reporting for his piece, at least. And all of them said, listen, legacy, this guy is just getting started. Like, he wants to be with Patrick Mahomes for the long haul. This is what he's always been waiting for is this particular quarterback to be able to achieve the things that he wants to do as a coach. Makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way, but the legacy of Andy Reid is really two things. First of all, one of the best offensive innovators that we've ever seen in the history of the NFL. That is a lofty, lofty legacy in the NFL. The other part of his legacy, at least right now, is, well, the one thing he was never able to really achieve was get that Super Bowl. He's one of the winningest coaches in the history of the NFL, but he doesn't have the ring. He's only been to one Super Bowl. He went to four straight NFC Championship games, only was able to break through once, and then ended up losing the Super Bowl. That's a big part of his legacy right now. And so for him to be able to get over that hump, the thing he always needed was the quarterback that he didn't have. Alex Smith was good, not great. Donovan McNabb was good, not great. When he got Michael Vick, Michael Vick was good, not great. When he had Kevin Cobb, good ish Not great. He just never had the quarterback that was going to be able to get him over the top. Think about the quarterbacks that win Super Bowls in the league. You don't need me to tell you this. We talked about it ad nauseum whenever Alex Smith was a quarterback here. But the quarterbacks that win the Super Bowl that aren't superstars are the exceptions. Nick Foles comes around once every 15 years. Brad Johnson once every 15 years. Those guys aren't the players that are winning Super Bowls. And now more than ever, with it being as much of a pass-driven league as we've ever seen before, it's going to become even more so that way. You have to have a guy like Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. There are certain teams in the league right now that were eliminated before the season ever began. The New York Jets were not winning a Super Bowl this year, ever. The Miami Dolphins were never going to win a Super Bowl. Now, part of that is because of their talent on the roster, but also – They don't have the quarterback to be able to get there. There are certain quarterbacks that have a ceiling. There are other teams that believe they have that guy, but he hasn't proven enough yet. Houston. I love Deshaun Watson. He's an amazing talent. That's the type of team that believes they have the quarterback needed to see more this year to be able to say without question that he's a good enough player to get them to that Super Bowl. The Chiefs don't need to see anything more. Tony Dungy is willing to say after 20 career starts, that Patrick Mahomes is going to be better than Peyton Manning. That's what Andy Reid has right now. And so whenever you're talking about the legacy and Ryan Clark brings up Bill Cowher, Patrick Mahomes is to Andy Reid, but what Big Ben was to Bill Cowher. Bill Cowher never had the quarterback. He always had the coaching acumen. He always had the teams that had the talent from top to bottom. He was in an unbelievable organization that always gave him the support he needed. He just never had the quarterback. And so when you get the quarterback, everything changes. And that's where the Chiefs find themselves today. One thing that needs to change tomorrow night. Frank Clark's got to be better, man. He's got to be. I know some of you are just done talking about Frank Clark, and I totally understand, but he's getting paid $20 million to be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. On Thursday night, I watched one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. His name was Aaron Donald. He had zero sacks. He had one tackle for loss. He had three tackles in the game. You'd look at the box score and say, Aaron Donald wasn't all that good. He wasn't all that impactful. Aaron Donald wrecked the Seahawks' offensive line. He absolutely wrecked them. There were three or four drives in a row, especially in the first half, where Aaron Donald dominated a drive to the point where the Seahawks weren't going to be able to do anything. he He ended the drive with the plays that he was making. I don't need Frank Clark to put up 20 sacks this year. It's not what I need. I don't need to see necessarily even a sack tomorrow night. I just want to see him be productive. I want to see him making plays. I want to see him make life difficult for Jacoby Brissett on a consistent basis. There was a stat that was floating around earlier this week. It came from Sports Info Solutions. Of all of the defensive ends that have rushed the passer at least 100 times this year, so basically on a per-game basis, rushed the passer at least 25 times per game, so a starter essentially. All of those defensive ends, Frank Clark has the lowest pressure rate in the NFL at 2%. 2% of the time that he's rushed the quarterback this year, he's actually had a pressure on the quarterback. That's the worst in the NFL. It's unacceptable, man. It's unacceptable. And so while the numbers aren't there from a box score standpoint, the production also isn't there from a pressure standpoint. I don't need you to get 20 sacks. I don't need you to get 15 tackles for loss. I don't need any of those things. What I need for him to do is to impact the game on a down-in, down-out basis in a way that a $20 million defensive player would. I went back and watched every pass-rush snap from Frank Clark last week. Every single one of them. Because I had heard from 20 different people, 20 different answers on how often Frank Clark was actually double-teamed. I wanted to see for myself the numbers that I came up with, After watching every pass rush snap from him, he had 18 opportunities to go one-on-one against an offensive tackle. He had four double teams. He had five stunts and four chips. So 18 times, he was lined up one-on-one against an offensive lineman with an opportunity to go get the quarterback. On two of those, he did pretty well. One of them was the play where Matt Stafford ended up running for seven yards He had him in his grasp, and ultimately Matt Stafford was able to break the tackle. Got to come up with that. You got to have it there. The other one was on Kenny Galladay's post where he scored the touchdown. Frank Clark was right there. That was a pressure. He just wasn't able to bring him down. That happens sometimes. Those are plays that are going to happen. What happened on the other 16 opportunities that he was one-on-one up against an offensive tackle? That's what needs to change. I'm not asking for him to be a dominant force. I'm not asking for him to be Khalil Mack. I'm not asking for him to be Aaron Donald. But be the tier below that. Seth Kaiser uh, talked to Carrington Harrison earlier this week. Uh, Seth watches a ton of film. He made a really great comparison. Chris Jones isn't the best defensive tackle in the NFL. That's Aaron Donald. And there's a tier between those two guys. But Chris Jones is amazing and makes splash plays every single week. That's the type of impact that you want to see from Frank Clark. Frank Clark doesn't have to be Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack is the best pass rusher, the best edge rusher in the NFL. Frank Clark just has to be what Aaron Donald, or Frank Clark has to be what, to Khalil Mack, what Chris Jones is to Aaron Donald. He has to be the second tier edge rusher. That's all you gotta be. Be a guy that can have a consistent impact and be a guy that's going to get pressure on the quarterback. Be disruptive. That's all I ask from you. Just be disruptive. And if you're able to do that, The rest of this is going to be just fine. Tomorrow's a big highlight game for him. The Chiefs are going up against the Indianapolis Colts, who now have Justin Houston. If Justin Houston has a bigger game tomorrow night than Frank Clark, oh boy, the calls for Frank Clark are going to get annoying. It is going to be really annoying. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game big. I've got it like 34 to 20, 34, 23, somewhere around there. These types of quarterbacks just don't come into Arrowhead and beat Kansas City. Not under Andy Reid. Not with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. It's been a really fun show today. If you missed any of it, SixTenSports.com sportscom is the place to find it. That's where you get the podcast page. Craig Stout, defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride, joined us earlier today. Dave Fleming of ESPN.com joined us to talk about his oral history on Andy Reid. Really great stories on Andy Reid. So I would highly recommend checking out the podcast page. 610sports.com is the place to find it. Coming up here in just about 30 minutes or so, we've got K-State pregame. Big game for them today. Got to get back up off of the mat after last week's disappointing loss. It's been fun. Big game tomorrow night, Kansas City Chiefs. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Brandon Kiley. You can hit me up on Twitter after the show. Next week, it is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio
1: lead off with Brandon Kylie 610 Sports Radio